Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of suicide. Please keep this in mind when deciding if, how, and when you'll listen. For resources on these topics, visit spotify.com resources. In 1973, Bonnie Lou Nettles and Marshall Applewhite left everything behind to search for their cosmic destiny. And in the years that followed, they urged hundreds of other people to do exactly the same. Walk out of your life, abandon your loved ones, to prove you're worthy of the next level. But Nettles had a secret. She stayed in contact with her daughter Terry the whole time, defying her own rules. According to the documentary, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults, Nettles sent letters once a month and sometimes even called her daughter on the phone. Terry said that they didn't really talk about Heaven's Gate. Her mom just wanted to know how she was doing, hear all the things she was up to. Then sometime in 1985, the letters just stopped. Terry, in her 30s now, was more than worried. She was frantic, checking the mailbox almost every day. But she didn't hear anything until the following March, when two members of Heaven's Gate called her up. They needed to tell her something in person. When Terry saw them, she assumed the truth almost immediately. She asked point blank, Mom's dead, isn't she? Nettles had died nine months earlier from cancer. Terry found out later that her mom had been in Dallas at the time, less than four hours away. She could have been there. She could have said goodbye. Instead, Nettles died surrounded by the members of Heaven's Gate. Her body was cremated. Marshall Applewhite most likely scattered her ashes himself. But Terry and her family never had any kind of memorial. She explained, nobody seemed to be interested. Beyond Terry, the only people who mourned Bonnie Lou Nettles were the members of Heaven's Gate. And in the aftermath of their grief, her death opened the door for their final exit. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is our third episode in a special anniversary series on Heaven's Gate, presented by Cults. We're taking a deep dive into the so-called UFO cult to try to understand who they were, what they believed, and what caused their tragic end 25 years ago. Today, we're digging into the fallout of Bonnie Lou Nettles' death. It's been suggested that Heaven's Gate was her cult and that Marshall Applewhite was her first recruit, So how did the group survive without her? We'll see how losing Nettles reshaped the group's beliefs and why, after more than a decade, they started recruiting again. We have all that coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. 
So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. We need to start today with a quick refresher on something that's common in a lot of cults. Cognitive dissonance. It was definitely at play in Heaven's Gate, even before Bonnie Lou Nettles died. It happens when we're confronted with something that totally contradicts what we believe to be the truth. Trying to reconcile these two opposing ideas makes us uncomfortable. Our brain has to find a way to adjust. We either have to accept that our initial belief was false or redefine the truth. Heaven's Gate chose the second option more than once. The first time was in 1976. Everyone had been waiting for the so-called demonstration, when Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles would be martyred and then brought back to life because that was when the spaceship would come and pick them all up. And it was supposed to happen any day now. But it didn't. So Applewhite and Nettles changed their story. They told their followers that the demonstration was actually a metaphor, and the spaceship was still coming. But, you know, don't worry about the timeline right now. Just focus on transforming yourself. By that point, the remaining members of Heaven's Gate were so completely sold on reaching the next level They accepted the rework. They trusted Applewhite and Nettles. The spaceship would come once they were all ready. And there were smaller examples that played out over the years, too. Like when Applewhite and Nettles would spontaneously announce that tonight was the night they were finally going to fly to heaven. But, of course, the next-level ship never arrived. Each of these failed predictions required just a little bit more cognitive dissonance to get past. And instead of doubting their older members, it actually bound the group closer together. But to get past Bonnie Lou Nettles' death, well, that required a major reckoning, a total rewrite of their beliefs. Up to that point, one of the cornerstones of Heaven's Gate's process was the biological transformation of your body. Once it was perfected, your changed body would live forever in the next level. But this meant if you died on Earth, you'd never reach utopia. So when Nettles died, it called the entire system into question. First of all, she was an older member. She had already transformed into a perfect next-level being. So her death was just impossible. But more importantly, without her body, how was she supposed to get to the next level? And what did it mean for the rest of them? Heaven's Gate wasn't just grappling with these huge spiritual questions. They were also heartbroken. Nettles had been a mother to them their spiritual teacher. And for Applewhite, he'd lost his partner. They were destined to be on this quest together. Could he even continue the classroom without her? The details of what happened immediately after Nettle's death are a little bit unclear. 
Heaven's Gate didn't release any public statements about it until 1988, three years after the fact. They said that the group was able to cope without any issue, and Applewhite seamlessly took the helm as a solo leader. But statements from former members paint a different picture. Applewhite struggled with his grief and wasn't sure how to pick up the pieces. They said he was weepy, depressed, and lost during this time, full of self-doubt. Sociologists David Taylor and Robert Balch reported that Applewhite openly wondered if he was deluding himself, and once he offered $1,000 to anyone who wanted to leave the class. According to Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults, in the months that followed, he allowed the members to go home and visit their families if they wanted. They still traveled in pairs with a Czech partner. It had been a decade since they cut off contact with the outside world. Balch explained, these parents literally didn't know if their kids were dead or alive because they had not heard anything from them since 75. One member's mother, Nancy Brown, had formed a network of parents in the late 70s to try to pool their resources and find their children. She'd actually been seen as a threat to the group because of her efforts. And then one day, her son showed up at her front door. She welcomed him with open arms, and they even had a little birthday party, perhaps to make up for all the ones he'd missed. She said, To see and hug him and talk to him and spend a couple of days together was very important to me and to all of us. Now, these visits are a crucial, telling moment. We don't know what kind of conversations the members had with their families, but we do know that Heaven's Gate was in shambles. And here they were, back in the safety of the lives they'd left behind. So if there was ever a moment to accept any lingering doubts, to abandon the group, this was it. They were already home. It was just a matter of staying there. But only one person did stay. The rest of the members returned to Marshall Applewhite, and they accepted his latest rewrite. So here's the new explanation. Bonnie Lou Nettles wasn't actually dead. She was alive and well in the next level. She had ascended. It was only her vehicle that had died. Applewhite said, to all human appearances, it was due to a form of liver cancer. We could say that because of the stress due to the gap between her next-level mind and the vehicle's genetic capacity, that the cancer symptom caused the vehicle to break down and stop functioning. So basically, she was too evolved for her human body, and her next-level consciousness had just burned it right up. Now, this fundamentally redefined what it meant to graduate to the next level. But for the remaining members of Heaven's Gate, the new explanation wasn't actually that far of a leap. They'd always been on a mission to shed their humanness. Of course, they were supposed to shed their human bodies, too. It was their minds, their consciousness, that would live on in heaven. And presumably, they'd be given new, evolved, next-level bodies once they arrived. Applewhite also had to explain why Nettles had left before their task was complete. They were the two witnesses, after all. He later reasoned, I can remember in the first few weeks that I met Nettles, she said, why do I feel that this is something that I'm to give to you and then I'm to go back? And I didn't know what she was talking about, but I know now. With this clarification, Applewhite was able to claim that her death was just one more step in their shared destiny, what the next level had intended the whole time. And even though Nettles was up in heaven, she was still very much part of the group. Applewhite was still talking to her all the time, still receiving guidance from his older member. 
During group meetings, he always kept an empty chair next to him to remind everyone of her constant presence. And because she held this omniscient role, eventually she became God to the members of Heaven's Gate. To explain this, Applewhite quoted John chapter 14, verse 11. The Father is in me, and I am in my Father. Nettles, as the Admiral, was the Father, and that meant that Applewhite, her conduit, was eventually seen as Jesus. Slowly but surely, with just a little more cognitive dissonance, a new Heaven's Gate emerged. By now, they were accustomed to rewrites. They accepted Applewhite's new direction and looked forward to the day they would all join Nettles in the next level. Applewhite felt that her death tested me. It tested the class, and we're all 10 feet taller because of it. They soldiered on, more committed to the mission than ever, and more committed to Applewhite. Coming up, wedding bells ring for Marshall Applewhite. Hi, I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast, And That's Why We Drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about, not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Shortly after Bonnie Lou Nettle's death in June of 1985, Marshall Applewhite came to the group with a riddle, a sort of test for them. According to Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults, he offered to give each member $100 to buy something for themselves. So what would they each get? It was a baffling question for a lot of different reasons. They'd been living with a crew mindset for over a decade. Everyone shared everything, always. All of their money, even inheritances, went into the community purse. And on top of that, the whole point of Heaven's Gate was to give up any personal possessions or desires. How could they just buy something for themselves? Eventually, Applewhite gave them the answer. They could each buy a $100 gold wedding band. He gave them a choice between two thicknesses, and then Applewhite held a group wedding ceremony. Heaven's Gate regularly compared themselves to monks and nuns because of the similarities in their lifestyles. And nuns commonly wear wedding bands to symbolize their marriage to Jesus and the church. But in this ceremony, the members of Heaven's Gate were marrying themselves to Marshall Applewhite. Sawyer, a former member, described the marriage in Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults. They each went up to Applewhite one at a time. Sawyer said, when I got to be the one to go up to him, he was sweating profusely. He kissed me on the forehead and he was weeping. He was giving birth. He was birthing students into the next level. In public statements, Applewhite didn't really acknowledge this ceremony. All he said was that the band showed their commitment to Heaven's Gate, and they were practical. If members went out in public, the rinks kept any unwanted romantic attention at bay. 
But sociologist Yanya Lalich argues that the wedding ceremony was a powerful tool of control, wielded during an uncertain time. It cemented Applewhite's position as the sole leader of Heaven's Gate, and the group was forever pledged to him and to the next level, till death do we part. Sociologists Robert Balch and David Taylor agree with this assessment. They report that after the wedding, members of Heaven's Gate started to send Applewhite committal letters, continuously confirming how devoted they were to him. Balch adds, up until this point, the focus was on the message or the process of overcoming. But what happens with this marriage ceremony is now the loyalty is shifting from the message to the messenger. One former follower felt that Applewhite became obsessed with control once he was leading the group. In the spring of 1988, he introduced more behavioral guidelines called major offenses and lesser offenses. Up to that point, Heaven's Gate had been following the 17 steps, and those guidelines were framed as questions meant to inspire self-reflection. Things like, do you use more of something than is adequate, or do you procrastinate? But Applewhite's new rules were direct statements, a comprehensive list of everything that was forbidden. There was no room for interpretation. There were three major offenses, deceit of any kind, including keeping secrets, sensuality in either thought or action, and, quote, breaking any instruction or procedure knowingly. There were 31 lesser offenses. Some of them reiterated the 17 steps. You couldn't be lazy, defensive, inconsiderate, or aggressive. Beyond that, lesser offenses included having likes or dislikes, having private thoughts, feeling jealous, seeking attention or approval, expressing negativity, entertaining inappropriate fears, and criticizing any member of the group, including Applewhite. Crucially, it forbade taking any action without using my check partner and trusting my own judgment or using my own mind. Beyond the new rules, to really take control of the group, Applewhite had to make sure everyone still recognized his unique position as an enlightened spiritual authority, and that meant making some adjustments. When Applewhite and Nettles created Heaven's Gate, they blended a lot of different ideas, influenced by both of their backgrounds. But now that he was on his own, Applewhite needed to lean more on what he knew best, Christianity. It had always been part of Heaven's Gate, after all, God and Jesus lived in the next level, but that was never the central idea. The group had usually focused more on the things that were going to get them to heaven, their physical and chemical transformations. But after Nettle's death, metamorphosis was off the table. So Applewhite rallied the group around Christianity, showing them how his interpretation would bring them to the next level. He started using scripture to justify some of their long-standing practices, this way, he could point to the Bible and say something like, See, it's all right here. Everything I've been telling you for years. What more proof do you need? Like their crew mindset and strict protocols for daily life, he highlighted John chapter 5, verse 19. The Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, the Son does likewise. In Heaven's Gate, the Father was Bonnie Lou Nettles, passing down instructions from the next level to Applewhite, the son, who then relayed every direction to his followers. To justify their celibacy and the mandate to abandon their families, he cited 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. To really reinforce his new direction for Heaven's Gate, Applewhite completely denounced the New Age, condemning theosophy, channeling, Eastern religions, yoga, and more. He admitted that he and Nettles had been tempted by some of those ideas initially, but they'd been smart enough to realize that they were all traps. He argued that the New Age was actually a tool of Lucifer, or Lucy, to distract people from God's true message. It was a clever trick offering systems disguised as personal growth, but they were all lies. And this is a significant change. It basically invalidated everything that Nettles had brought to Heaven's Gate. For example, she'd always stressed the importance of meditation. It was a crucial tool in the transformation process, and she urged members to devote as much time as possible to it. She wrote several meditation prayers for the group that were influenced by New Age ideas. Here's part of one that she called a healing prayer. Say to yourself, every day my vehicle is getting healthier and happier and in better control, and follow up the words with imagining yourself having a healthier body, a happier body, and in perfect control of it. The prayer uses a combination of visualization and positive thinking to manifest a new reality. In this case, manifesting health and happiness, and that smacks of New Age thinking. In other prayers, Nettles told her students to visualize a next-level gland in the middle of their foreheads. It was similar to the idea of the third eye chakra in Eastern religions, which provides wisdom and guidance. She told them to concentrate on the gland as they meditated. She wrote, As this spot accepts all of my energy, it is helping my chemistry change. But under Applewhite, the group stopped looking inward. Instead, their prayers needed to be directed outward and upward toward the next level. They could still pray for what they wanted to change, but instead of manifesting it themselves, they needed to send a request up the chain through their older members. They should petition Applewhite, who would pass the message to Nettles, who would talk to the big wigs in the next level. And then, if she got the go-ahead, their prayers would be answered. Here's an example of one of these later prayers, written by a follower named Branodi, we should note that it's her prayer, not the one that was used by the whole group. I ask for your help in developing the same mechanism of restraint that you engage before allowing your vehicle to speak or act, weighing the consequences of each word or action carefully, ridding myself of my human, reactive mind. With this up-the-chain framing, we get a better understanding of why Nettles eventually became God and Applewhite became Jesus. You couldn't get to heaven without going through each of them, not even in your prayers. Along those same lines, Applewhite declared that any other form of Christianity was also the work of Lucy. Unless you were following the teachings from the next level, you'd been duped by the devil. Applewhite explained the church uses the family, church membership, baptism, and other rituals to give people a false sense of security and religious accomplishment and misguides them to believe that this is all they need to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And by discounting all other religions and spiritual practices, it doubled down on the idea that this was the only way to get to heaven. So it made leaving heaven's gate that much more difficult. You'd always wonder if you'd made the right decision or knowingly walked away from utopia. We should also make it clear that even with this stronger focus on Christianity, the core ideas of Heaven's Gate were still there. 
God was still an alien. They were still waiting for the spaceship to take them to heaven. In fact, they decided that all the members of Heaven's Gate were actually aliens. In our last episode, we mentioned that members of the classroom believed they had each received a mental deposit at some point from the next level. It was why they had recognized Applewhite and Nettle's message as the truth. But now they took that idea one step further. They had all actually lived in the next level previously, part of the same crew. And they'd all been sent down to Earth to carry out this spiritual mission together. Each of their souls had inhabited a different human vehicle, so they could understand the wide range of vices and addictions that people needed to overcome. And therefore, when their mission was complete, they would leave behind their human vehicles, and their next-level consciousness would go back to heaven, where they'd be given a new next-level body, just like Nettles. Now, after 12 years of working together in the classroom, they'd become masters of overcoming humanness. They were ready to teach the process to the rest of the world. And this was important because there was one more thing that Applewhite had pulled from his Protestant bag of tricks, fire and brimstone. The apocalypse was coming. Coming up, Heaven's Gate ramps up their mission to save humanity. Now back to the story. In 1988, Heaven's Gate was fueled by a new sense of urgency. Twelve years after closing the harvest, Marshall Applewhite had received word from the next level. It was time to recruit again. Because the end of the age was almost upon them, the end of the world. And only those who accepted the message of the next level would survive. So the fate of humanity rested on their shoulders. This idea wasn't unique to Heaven's Gate at the time. With the year 2000 on the horizon, Y2K fears were already settling in. Some evangelical Christian groups saw signs of revelation. Just like during the first round of recruiting in the 1970s, lots of people felt like doomsday waited in the wings. But the recruitment drive might have also been related to their dwindling headcount. There were less than three dozen members left in Heaven's Gate at this point and they were all getting older, most of them pushing 40 by now. They needed fresh blood. So Marshall Applewhite drafted a public statement called the 88 Update. It was a comprehensive overview of the history of Heaven's Gate, what they'd learned after 12 years in the classroom, and a detailed summary of their beliefs, including the recent focus on Christianity. In October, they mailed it out to any spiritual and religious groups that they thought might be receptive to the message, just like they'd done with the first statement so many years ago. But they didn't get any bites. This might have been because the 88 update was really confusing. It was dense and kind of all over the place, bouncing from topic to topic, peppered with Bible verses. Of course, it might also have been the message itself. They sent the 88 update to the very groups that they had called out as false religions and tools of Lucifer, so probably not the most receptive audience to begin with. The 1988 recruitment effort was a total failure, but Heaven's Gate wasn't deterred. Instead, they took a bigger swing. They blamed the lack of response on the medium, not the message, and that meant trying a different approach. People needed to hear it all from Applewhite himself. So they invested in professional recording equipment and set up a mini-studio. The group produced a series of recorded lectures called Beyond Human, The Last Call. 
and paid to air them on satellite TV, it was almost 14 hours of material spread across 12 episodes. The episodes were formatted like a roundtable discussion. For the most part, Applewhite addressed the camera directly, preaching, in his comfort zone. Two students from the class sat across from him, occasionally prompting him with questions to guide the discussion. And over the course of 12 episodes, they covered a lot. The entire history of Heaven's Gate, their relationship to the next level, the group's terminology, lifestyle, and practices, the traps that had been set by Lucifer. It was everything you ever wanted to know about Heaven's Gate, but were too afraid to ask. Most importantly, Applewhite stressed why they were spreading their message now. He compared the Earth to a garden. And according to the next level, it was about to be spaded up and recycled. Worthy souls would be harvested for heaven, and the rest, well, he wasn't privy to those details. But it wouldn't be pretty. He warned, last call, if you want to go beyond human, if you have received a gift that connects you with this truth, with our Heavenly Father, with the family of the Creator, then you have an opportunity to do it, to overcome the world, to move into that kingdom permanently, not needing to return to the human condition. But the public response was tepid at best. Sociologist Yanya Lalich writes that there is little to suggest that it made any impact. It's unclear how many people joined after the Beyond Human series aired, but it was likely in the single digits. And of that small number, many of them were old members who had previously defected. So they just had to go bigger, be bolder. On May 27, 1993, they placed an ad in USA Today, published both domestically and internationally. The headline read, UFO Cult Resurfaces with Final Offer. It took up a third of the page and cost $30,000, but no price was too high when the fate of humanity was on the line. The group said that they tried to incorporate some contemporary terms to frame the message in a more relatable way. They made some references to Star Trek, calling Applewhite their captain, the group, an away team, and the spaceship to heaven, the true enterprise. They also left out all the Bible quotes this time. But beyond those adjustments, it was just about as dense as the 88 update. There were 27 bullet points in the statement, a wall of text covering the finer points of what the next level was, how to get there, and why time was running out. It ended with caution. If the above information is consumed or assimilated, you may experience such side effects as loss of marriage, family, friends, career, respectability, and credibility. Continued use could even result in the loss of your membership in the human kingdom. They included a P.O. Box address and encouraged anyone who was interested to reach out for more information. And they got some responses this time, not all of them serious. For those who are actually genuine, the group mailed back some of the recorded lectures from the Beyond Human series, as well as an overview of the requirements to join the classroom, what they'd have to give up, and what their new life would be like. In the meantime, from July to September, Heaven's Gate published more ads in over 20 local newspapers, distributed to almost 50 different cities, states, and countries, and then they went on tour. They split up into four or five groups and traveled all over the U.S., hitting more than 60 cities in 22 states over the course of nine months. It was a full-court press. They distributed flyers, gave newspaper and radio interviews, and, just like the old days, 
held public meetings. But the reception was nothing like it had been in the 1970s. At the most, 30 or 40 people showed up to hear what they had to say. More often, it was just a handful. During the original recruitment meetings, people in the audience had been captivated by Marshall Applewhite's presence and charisma. There was also an energy in the room. People said they felt euphoric when they heard the message. But this time, Heaven's Gate presentations were mostly met with skepticism. They didn't feel like the group was offering anything different or life-changing. At one meeting in Portland, an audience member asked point-blank, how do you absolutely know that you are not deluding yourselves? By and large, the public rejected their message. In the documentary Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults, scholar Benjamin Zeller explains, Within the group, it made sense to talk about disincarnated space aliens. It made sense to talk about the next level. Outside the group, this looked like nonsense. And it was treated as nonsense. They held their last recruitment meeting on August 19, 1994. A few days later, Heaven's Gate faced the music. One former member said, One day in Maine, after having gone through the whole country to give what they thought was the most important information on the planet, Applewhite said, Well, I guess it's time for us to quit holding meetings for a while. They'd spent tens of thousands of dollars, months on the road, and in the end, they didn't have much to show for their efforts. Sociologists Robert Balch and David Taylor estimated that about 25 people joined Heaven's Gate during the second recruitment wave. Of those, only half stayed with the group beyond a few months. In 1995, they gave one more last-ditch effort to get the word out, a Hail Mary. Several members in the group were pretty tech-savvy. Even though the internet was still in its infancy, Heaven's Gate was online. They posted on some public forums like Usenet. They targeted message threads focused on UFOs, Christianity, artificial intelligence, and science fiction. They also built a website and uploaded copies of their materials outlining their beliefs. The response online wasn't any different to what they'd received in real life. In fact, it was worse. The few comments they received were from heckling trolls and cyberbullies. But while they were plugged into some of these communities talking about aliens, they heard about a comet that was scheduled to pass by Earth soon, Hale-Bopp. It would be so big and so close, you'd be able to see it without a telescope. A true celestial event for humanity. And as it drew closer, amateur stargazers noticed something strange. It seemed like there was an object traveling alongside the comet. And it was huge. One man described it as several times larger than the Earth. When Heaven's Gate heard about this, they could only draw one conclusion. Hale-Bopp's companion was a spaceship from the next level. It was finally time for them to go home. Thanks for tuning in to part three of our Heaven's Gate anniversary special, presented by Cults. We'll be back next week with the conclusion of our series. We'll uncover the truth about the Hale-Bopp Comet and follow the final days of Heaven's Gate. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. 
Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Cults was written by Abigail Cannon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.